Tonight, well, banking fears are easing, but are we about to see gas prices rise again? You're listening to Simply Money, presented by All Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby. OPEC just made a move. You might not have even seen this yet, but it uh, seems that this might nah. Good news for Wall Street, bad news for Main Street, a lot going on. Allworth Chief Investment Officer Andy Stout joins us, as he does every Monday. Uh, Andy, tell me about what Saudi Arabia and OPEC did and how it's going to affect the average person. What the cartel did was they basically removed 1 million barrels a day from the market. So they're cutting production by a little bit more than a million barrels a day. This has an immediate impact on lifting oil prices, which will in turn flow through to gas prices. So if you're at the gas station and the prices look a little bit higher than yesterday, you now know why. Well, and this isn't good news for inflation, is it? No, not at all. I mean, if you yeah. look at energy in general uh, and crude oil and, and where it's been, uh, it will certainly have effect. So crude oil, had, it got about 8% higher this morning. Uh, last I looked, we we're about 6% higher. So a barrel of crude oil was trading around 80%. And these energy prices, they do flow into the in- inflation picture. And when you just look at the overall in- inflation picture, you know, the biggest component is uh, shelter. I mean, that's the 35% uh, of the weighting for the overall CPI. But when you look at energy, uh, it it comprises about uh, 7% in total. So it's not a huge impact, but it has a flow through effect to other areas. And that's where uh, you, you might see it hit. And when uh, even just this morning, you had a St. Louis uh, Fed president, James Bullard, out there talking about the impact of oil on inflation and what it means for the Fed. Uh, short answer is he doesn't know yet. Uh, still a <laughs> yeah. lot of unknowns <laughs> when it comes to that. So shifting gears a little bit, easing banking fears uh, seemed to boost the market last week. It appears for now that the Treasury and Federal Reserve successfully calmed some of the panic. Uh, around the banking sector. Do, do you think that the, the banking crisis is over? I would say the chances of any major financial crisis, large-scale banking crisis, are, are pretty low. When you look at everything that's gone on, the emergency measures by the Federal Reserve, by the Treasury, mm-hmm. where essentially they're backstopping all losses uh, for banks. Uh, so when, when you look at it from that perspective, you know, it's certainly has the those the industry has been provided a lifeline by the fed and they're taking them up on it uh banks have borrowed from the fed a tremendous amount over the past three weeks in order to shore up their balance sheet the problem was uh or is i should say is even though their banking crisis might be over that lifeline the shoring up of their balance sheets what that's going to result in is less bank lending, and that means okay. less consumer spending. Consumer spending makes up 70% of the economy. That's going to slow down the economy. On the flip side, though, it also will probably slow down inflation. Well, and that, that's the whole point of, of what, what the Fed is trying to accomplish. I, I mean, nobody wanted a banking crisis, but um, they want to slow down demand, and, and that's what seems to be accomplished. Were you surprised that this uh, expanded outside the U.S.? And uh, I mean, Credit Suisse is, I, I don't think a lot of Americans realize, that's a 160-something-year-old bank that is a bedrock uh, in in Europe, uh, one of the largest banks over there, and they fell completely apart. Did, did that catch you by surprise that it expanded, um, you know, the concern over to Europe? 
Well, not really. And here's why, on, at least on Credit Suisse. I mean, they they were a, a train wreck. It was a slow motion train wreck. I mean, there's yeah. scandal after scandal with So them. you knew there uh, were problems. Yeah, I mean, were, their stock was already trading around $2 a share. It's, not, it's okay. not like it was the most shocking thing in the world. But when you look at what's happened with them, you can see why the U.S. banking crisis did absolutely push Credit Suisse over the edge. Over the past you know, four years, they were spying on outgoing executives with some corporate espionage. They had some <laughs> big law. They had some big losses from uh, some high-profile hedge funds because they didn't really do great due diligence on the, the riskiness involved in there. There was a huge data leak last year uh, where 30,000 customers' uh, information was revealed. Uh, but when we uh, saw who those customers were, it was people involved in drug trafficking, money laundering, and torture. Oh, super. So. Yeah, so if you actually looked at the history of Credit Suisse, there's a lot of statement there. In the fourth quarter, they had, a, uh, I believe it was a record amount of deposits being pulled out from there. So you had all these nerves already, nerves, uh, rising nerves surrounding Credit Suisse. And then you had this, this stuff going on over here in the U.S. And that just pushed anybody to who might have had a higher than the uninsured deposit to pull money out. And essentially, you know, we ended up having to see UBS come in and buy out Credit Suisse in order to uh, keep the contagion in check. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovec along with Steve Ruby. And if it's Monday, we must be talking to Andy Stout. Andy's the chief investment uh, officer of Allworth Financial right here in Cincinnati. Hey, Andy, I, I, we just wrapped up the first quarter, and I think it caught a lot of people by surprise with all the negative news out there. It actually was a pretty decent quarter for both stocks and bonds. Um, uh, kind, kind of summarized what we saw in the first three months of, of this year for me, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So I want to take it month by month because it's it's starkly different every month. A little bit of a roller coaster, January, yeah. Yeah, January was really strong. February was really weak. March was decently strong. And when you put it all together, you have the S&P 500, which is your 500 largest companies here in the U.S., they were up seven and a half percent for the quarter. Uh, that's that's obvious. That's a really good number. The Dow, yeah. meanwhile, it was up only about not even one percent. It got to zero point nine percent. So your blue chips, uh, they did struggle a little bit more than the S and P five hundred. So having a little bit broader exposure certainly was a good thing in the first quarter. And when you look uh, across the pond, you look at international stocks. They also had a pretty good co quarter overall gaining about 7%. Uh, now, you know, within the U.S., you know, I mentioned the Dow uh, didn't do quite as good, but even there's different areas of the market. Some do better than others. Small cap stocks, for example, they were only up about 2.7%. So, you know, they were certainly a, uh, a lagging factor. And here's the really good news for investors who are really um, frustrated with how their bonds performed uh, last year, <laughs> which yeah. you totally get. Bonds uh, did pretty well. 3% quarter is a very strong quarter for bonds, and that's what the aggregate bond index did. And, you know, corporate bonds did a little bit better than treasuries. Long-term bonds did a little bit better than short-term bonds. So, again, I think it kind of like uh, it drives home the point not to put all your eggs in one basket. Because you know, if you were looking back at uh, 2022 and thinking about, you know, where was the best place uh, to invest or what index may have done really, really uh, well. Well, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, you know, that 
stood up not too bad compared to everything else. It, it fell about uh, 6.87% in that general area, which was better than the uh, the S&P 500, which was down 18%. So a big spread there where the blue chips did better. But then it flips around this quarter and you have the Dow Jones barely up to a percent, on, not even to a percent, and the S&P about seven and a half. So not putting all of your eggs in one basket. I know it's an overused financial cliche. But it works. But it it works. That's right. And you got to stick to it because what happens, Steve, is asset classes go in and out of style on a very regular basis. You never know which one's going to be the best performer or the worst performer. I mean, you can tilt in certain ways, but having good diversification uh, across the board, it really helps to minimize that overall volatility. And that allows you to stay invested. That allows you to sleep at night. That allows you to have financial peace of mind. As much as I like hearing this good news, Andy, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of folks that I work with that are asking me, are, are the markets reacting too soon? Or do you think that the Fed has maybe stuck its landing? Oh, I don't think the Fed stuck any landing. <laughs> um, I mean, there's know, still a chance of a recession, slip. right? There, Yeah, there is. I mean, if you look at just the, what's going on out there, our leading economic indicators, you know, they do point to a slowdown. There's a lot of economists who think there will be a recession in the second half of this year. And one of the main reasons, uh, you know, we talked about the, the bank side of the world, they are pulling back on lending. That yeah. will slow down economic growth. And you will start to see the job market soften a little bit more than it has. Where it becomes an issue is what does that mean for the consumer, which mm -hmm, their yeah. spending makes up 70% of the economy. I was uh, looking at some research over the weekend and 60% of your lower income, the lowest uh, income houses, the bottom 60%, they only have excess savings of one to three months. So in other words, they wouldn't really be able to weather any sort of yeah. economic storm too well. And that's where, you know, the when you have this weakness that could possibly happen in the uh, not too distant future, you look at where the, uh, the points of pain might be, and that one really does stick out. And I think that could be why you know, if it does happen, that we ultimately do slip into a recession when it shocked me. Quick, quickly, Andy, what, what do we have coming up this week? What should we be expecting? Oh, this week's a big week. Already this morning, uh, interestingly, we got a, a survey update on the manufacturing uh, sector, and it came in weaker than expected. That's a good thing. That's a good <laughs> because thing. <laughs> what that means is yeah. that it puts those Fed rate hikes off the table or pulls them the likelihood down. Yeah. Uh, and people want to see the end to the rate hikes because uh, that is an equity market positive. So we, we did have that. Also, we will get an update on the services sector, uh, whether it's expanding or contracting. It's probably expanding because um, if you look at the overall economy, we're tracking based on the data released so far. Uh, around 3.2% GDP for the first quarter, which is really, really good. Uh, but what's going to be the most important thing to watch uh, is going to be the job report, the job month market report on Friday, even though the market's closed, we're still going to get this update. The uh, economists believe that employers added about 240,000 jobs in March and that the unemployment rate remained at 3.6%. We'll also be watching very closely average hourly earnings, looking at that wage inflation, because that also has a big implication for the Fed and what they do with rate hikes. 
Great perspective, as always, from Andy Stout, Chief Investment Officer of Allworth Financial. Thanks, Andy. Here's the Allworth advice. The stock market, and yep, it's performing better than it did last year, which is why you want to stay invested during tough times. It allows the investments to ride the upswing. Coming up next, when will the government not have enough money to pay Social Security benefits in full? The new timeline is next. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovec along with Steve Ruby. We want to give you a heads up about an opportunity to get your questions answered about Social Security. We have virtual workshops called the Rule of Five. They are April 11th and April 13th at noon and on April 15th at 10 a.m. Just go to allworthfinancial.com to sign up. It's totally free. So, Ruby, speaking of Social Security, what's the question you and I get asked every day? When, when should I take run, it? Yeah. When should when, I take it? When should it? I take it? When will it run out? Exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, we've got good good news and <laughs> that bad one's news coming on up that. Yeah. The answer in recent years has been a little bit more complicated because whether the trust fund that pays out the benefits will run out of money, it's not the question of if, it's a question of when, and we've got a new timeline on that. I knew you were going to kick it to me for the bad news, Steve. Yeah. New timeline. Social Security uh, Retirement Trust Fund is projected to run dry in 2033, which is one year earlier than previously estimated. So I hope everybody loved their pay raise. I mean, everybody was mm-hmm. that was drawing Social Security was excited about it. I'm like, yeah, I get why you're excited, but there's still the same amount of money going into it. More money out same money in means it's going to run out sooner. Yeah. I mean, that's it's not rocket science. Common sense. Yeah. They, what happened is they lowered their GDP uh, estimates as well yep. as labor productivity. And of course, that's because of uh, updated figures on inflation and, and U.S. economic output. So yeah, this is going to create some problems. And, and, you know, I don't want, there's a big misconception that, wait a second, you mean it's going to dry up? I don't get a paycheck? Yes. No. That is not no, correct. That's not the problem. The problem is that the excess funds, the so-called trust fund, is going to run out. And from that point, the people paying in is the only money coming in. There's no excess to draw from from a trust fund. And the estimate is you'll still get about 75% of your benefit if Congress does nothing. I'm going to give an exact figure on this one, Steve, because it's better okay. news. 77%. Okay. That yeah. makes me feel not Wonderful, much better. Right? No. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we've got to take a hard look at some of the other issues going on because what is the Fed battling right now? They're battling inflation, okay? They're trying to reduce demand. Bad news is good news, and that means more people out of work means, okay, that's good for bringing inflation down, but that's less money being paid into social Security. I mean, all of these things that the Fed wants, a slowdown in the economy, a possible recession, hopefully not a serious one, that's going to reduce gross domestic product. That's going to reduce income coming into the system. Um, I, you know, it's not going to get a lot better anytime soon. Not without action. But, you know, I do yeah. need to share some other good news, some facts that, that came good out news. from this report. Yeah, okay. good news. Right. Report, it projects that the trust fund that, that partly covers Medicare Part A, her hospital, hospital That's the benefits. hospital side, yeah. Yes. Uh, it, it, well, the way it's wording, it, it's still going to run out in 2031, but that's three years later than the date <laughs> that, that the trustees used last year. Yeah. So always trying to find the positive here, Steve. I, I know. And, and here's what worries me is we've got a national debt problem going on where 
you know, if, if Congress and the president don't put their heads together and come up with a budget plan, this country's out of money by June. That's three months away. Yeah. And they're not apparently worried about it because they're not talking to each other. Here's a problem with Social Security that affects a lot of people, and that's 10 years away. You think they're going to start working on that now? No, they might not be working on it with three months remaining. That's, Isn't that's Because that's the way this, this country's governing bodies seem to be. If it's screaming at you so loud that you have to address it, you will. But this is politically just not something that, that they want to get on right away. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about Social Security and how it looks like it's going to run out of money one year earlier than projected just one year ago. Yeah, I'm obviously potential impact here. It, it's scary. A, a 23% cut is, is that that can represent a major hardship for all but the oh, most yeah. affluent yeah. people. Yeah, that's that's the bottom line here. And, and let's talk about why that's happening a little bit. You, you talked about surplus versus, you know, them taking out more than they bring in. What in when Social Security started, there was 30 workers for every single one retiree. Yeah. 30 to one ratio. And, and you now know what else was going, but before you go any further, what else was going on is you were able to draw at age 65. You know what the average lifespan of an American was when social security came out? A little bit lower. 65. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in other words, there were very few people that had to draw and 40 people paying in for every retiree. Not the same yeah, way today. Math is different. Three and a half workers for yeah. every one retiree. Yeah. So there, this created a surplus in earlier years. Not the case anymore. In 2021, the trust fund paid out more than it took in for the very first time. But well, you know what the problem Ever. is? Me. The problem yeah, is me. It is. Because thanks, I'm, thanks a lot, Steve. I, I'm in my 60s. I'm on the tail end of that baby boomer generation. And, and you know, it, it's like the snake that swallowed the pig. I mean, there are a lot of baby boomers that are heading into or already are in retirement. It's, you know, and I brought this up before. It's, you know, I'm one of four. That was a small family in my neighborhood. My wife was one of nine. You don't see that going on anymore. So you've got fewer people coming through, and I guess call it the pipeline, fewer people coming through the pipeline, paying for more and more retirees, who are living longer and longer. Mortality, the average age of death in, in this country is not 65 anymore. It's in the low 80s, you know? So you've got people that are drawing, in a lot of cases, from age 62, maybe as long as 82 for 20 years, and you've got fewer people paying in. The problem solves itself in another generation. But today, no. It's going to probably get a little worse before it gets better. Now, we, we do want to make it clear that it's, it's very unlikely that Congress is going to slash any benefits for current individuals They've collecting never done social that. security too many registered voters exactly or those within <laughs> yeah. 10 even within 10 years yeah. of, of retirement they phased it in last but time what yep. what are they going to do to fix it so obviously a lot of different ways they can do this some combination of kicking the retirement age up uh, maybe removing early retirement reducing benefits means testing is one i've heard talked about steve that's i weird. don't like that oh neither do i, I nobody don't like that at see all. that's the thing nobody's going to be happy yeah. about what choices yeah, you, need to be you, made you know it's where taxes i'll it's tell you less benefit one thing they can do and you'll get almost zero pushback right now there's a cap on your earnings that you're going to be taxed on for social security if you make more than one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, i know there aren't a lot of people that make more than that but you don't pay anything in the social in, into social security over one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. yeah that first 160 yep that goes to social security why does it stop i i, I think just lifting and eliminating that cap to me, that's a gimme. Yeah, yeah, I, it is. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. They've got to get together. They've got to do something, and they've got to do it sooner than later. 
here's the all worth advice. Maybe the politicians should pay attention to this and, and start taking care of Social Security 10 years early instead of the last month. Coming up next, Amy and our financial fitness expert are in next to discuss what you can do to make sure your children and grandchildren are getting the money lessons that they need that are the keys to their financial success. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. I don't know about you, but if you've got children or grandchildren who are teenagers, some of them just get it when it comes to money. A lot of them do not. As someone who has four teenagers in her home, uh, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is why I'm so glad that Al Riddick from Game Time Budgeting is joining us tonight. He's written a book about raising smart money teens, so he's got some great advice for us. Yes, ma'am. Amy, well, thank you so much for allowing me to be on the show again. And I appreciate you mentioning my book, Money Smart Teens. Uh, first of all, I have to tell the audience, as 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 I got older, I began to wonder, why didn't I learn more about money as a child? So I answered the question myself by saying, you know what? What do I wish I had learned about money before I became an adult? So I wrote my book, Money Smart Teens, to answer that question. And I broke the lessons down into four different sections. First of all, let's teach kids about just understanding what money is and how it flows through the economy. Then let's talk about making money, saving money, and spending money. So when you think about the average teenager, to me, if they can master those four different subject topic areas is going to help them have a better relationship with money down the road. Well, Al, I'm one of those people that grew up in a house like that. There were no money lessons growing up. And I, I think in hindsight, it's because when your parents are broke, it, it, it's a taboo subject. It, it's a subject to stress. So if you're a kid that grew up in a house like I did, where do you start? What What's the first area that you want to concentrate on? So to me, if you grew up in a household where money is not discussed, and Steve, you and I uh, probably grew up in a similar fashion, you yeah. know, but to me, I, the, one of the first things I would want to know is where does money come from? Now, that's a very simple question, Steve. So most young people would say money comes from work. But then if you dig a little bit deeper, you start to learn that, guess what? We have this organization that actually prints money or makes <laughs> money, you know, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing or the U.S. Mint, right, that makes the coins. Now, obviously, paper money isn't used as much anymore. But to me, it's still always good to understand where money comes from. And then how does how does money go from being manufactured to actually existing inside of a banking institution or a credit union. Those types of questions, they they kind of always eluded me or the answers to those questions growing up. And that's another reason that I wrote my book. But for that average team, you definitely want to know where money comes from. But then I think it's also good to know what expenses does my parents or do my parents incur that allowed me to live the life I lived? I think mm. that's a very cool question to ask your parents. <laughs> and now for, I'm just thinking about in, in my family, three of our kids have their own jobs. They're getting paychecks for the first time. So, so what do you say to teenagers who've never had like probably a steady income and now there's some money coming in? Uh, how do you make sure that they understand how to think about that paycheck responsibly? 
So I think one of the best questions you could ask that team, let's sit down and talk about your life and some of the goals that you have. And let's break that down into short-term goals as well as long-term goals. Now, let's just be real. Most young people, obviously, they want to hang out with their friends. You know, they want to dress a certain way or maybe buy the latest tech gadget. Well, long-term is tomorrow. I know, right? <laughs> right? But, Tuesday. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's cool when you get them to understand that, you know, if you want that latest uh, new cell phone and let's just say it costs I don't know 800 bucks how many hours of sweat equity do you have to yeah. exert on your job in order to be able to buy that cell phone so if you're making I don't know 10 or 15 bucks an hour you know that's a lot of, of life energy just to be able to get the latest tech gadget and I think by doing that young people will start to look at their life in a different way and realize that maybe some of the things you want, it actually costs you too much life energy in order to get it. Okay. And so Al, beyond just those paychecks, right? I mean, this is the age when a lot of kids are starting to drive cars, insurance, gas. What's a good way for families to start thinking through those things? So, so this is just my opinion, Amy, and being that you have four teens, of course, you can e elaborate on it, right? <laughs> but I think like when that child starts to drive, now, obviously, not everywhere they go will be a necessity, right? Some of those things would just be for fun. What if you told the child, you know what, every now and then, maybe you're going to have to fill up the tank because you need them to feel what it, it feels like for for an adult or even them as a as a teen to have expenses you know nothing in life is free as you both know but i think that's a good opportunity to educate that child about the expense of having a car or you could say you know what just by you having the ability to drive our insurance premiums went up by x amount so what if you kick in maybe 10 or 15 or 20% of the cost because, again, it's you that wants to drive, you know? So that could be another way to teach them about, like, the total cost of ownership and some of the costs that they might not be thinking about when they get behind the wheel. It's interesting you bring that up because it reminds me of a story. I, you know, my, my older son was uh, one of the youngest in, in his grade, so he was watching all of his buddies get new cars and, and in some cases literally brand new cars from their parents wow, and, wow. and and yeah and and so he um you know he said hey, dad and this is literally 20 years ago hey dad i turned 16 saturday uh what kind of car am i getting and and immediately i said i don't know how much you got in your savings account mm. and, and his jaw dropped but i we had both of our boys pay for their own cars and you know what they never wrecked them and their buddies yeah. all had accidents and everything else because they had their own money tied up. That seems to be a lesson that has not been passed from generation to generation anymore of your kids really need to pay for their own stuff. Are, I mean, are you finding that also? Steve, I love the example that you get just gave, and I'm going to take it a step further. You yeah. know, I love the fact that your, 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 your kids pay for their own cars, cars yeah. but what if you had sat down with them, and I'm not saying you didn't, but you know, let's just say they financed a little bit of the car, right? Right, right? Or you may have borrowed some money to buy the car. I'm just speaking hypothetically. How cool would it have been if you sat down with them and said, well, this is the annual percentage rate. This is the monthly payment. And this is the total cost <laughs> yeah. of the car by mm -hmm. the time you finish 
paying off the loan. I think just by letting them even hear the word amortization schedule, you know, that would help <laughs> their curiosity. I love you know? it. It's yeah. all eye opening, right? I know, right? Not only may, may, may they might they end up financing the car, you know, that, that might happen when they want to finance their uh their home or even a college education, but all of those are learning opportunities that sometimes we might not take advantage of. Well, and you're talking about communication and communication about money between parents and children, and that's everything. Communication solves 99% of the issues here. Definitely, and you must have been talking to my wife, Steve, because that's something <laughs> that I need to do a better job of. You know? <laughs> yeah, but but, uh, but on do. a serious note, you know, I think communication is the key. Uh, anytime yeah. you have conflict or you want to learn something, you know, it takes communication in order to uh, to to move forward in that particular. Um, um, space in your life so when it comes to money i'm one of those people i I believe that it's almost impossible to communicate too much because money is something that we deal with each and every day of our lives when it comes to young people i think the more that they are exposed to the right mindset the right behaviors and the right systems with money it should allow their lives to end up being a lot better and a lot more financially fruitful than ours ever could be There are so many important conversations that you need to be having with your kids their entire lives, but certainly when they're teenagers and I would is one of the most important as far as the trajectory of the rest of their lives. Great advice from Al Riddick, of course, from Game Time Budgeting. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby. Do you have a financial question you'd like for us to answer? Well, there's a red button you can click on while you're listening to the show on the iHeart app. Just record your question. It goes straight to us. We listen to them and might even put you on the air. Straight ahead, the red flags to look for when you're booking a vacation rental. So, Ruby, we're wired to focus on the here and now, and that's yep. I, I, I think that's a healthy thing. I catch myself worrying all the time about, the future, not today, but tomorrow, the day after that, and and so on. But when, when it comes to your money, protecting your future is kind of important. Yeah, I mean, that's what we help individuals do, individuals and families do for a living. That's yeah. that's how we make our, our living. So uh, first thing you need to do is, is have a vision. Now, it seems like a no-brainer, but what, what does retirement actually mean to you? Yeah. How will you spend your days? What are your needs versus your wants? Yeah, it's not just about, I don't have to work anymore. I get to sleep in late. Exactly. And I can tell you from personal experience. Rubbing it in. I, I Well, no, <laughs> I, I'm closer to retirement than I am the start of my career. And it's not a bad idea to talk about this with your spouse because I wow. learned real quick that my idea of living in retirement might not be hers. I, great example. So my wife is from Minnesota. Um, great family up there. I love going up there to visit her family. And I, I just, you know, said, Hey, is that someplace you would want to live in, in retirement? She said, no, it's cold up there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm with her on that, (laughs) but you know, I wanted to make sure, okay, I don't want to assume she does or doesn't want to live there. That's called communication. Not a bad thing to do when you're talking about retirement. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, we also need to put a realistic price tag on your goals. Yeah. What, what will these goals cost you? How might inflation and taxes affect these goals depending on where you live? You're bringing that up. Well, and, and I hear people every once in a while, I don't know why this number's still out there. So I, I guess I just need 80% of my current income. Is that, that what I should? No. Where does that come from? You know, I, I have found 
there are a fair number of people that spend more in retirement exactly. than they did when they were working. Yeah, That's not unusual. I talk about it with folks that I work with. When, when you hit retirement, oftentimes you're hitting the ground running. It's it's your go-go year. Yeah. Get a little bit older, you slow down, slow-go right. years. You're knocking on the door to, you know, end of plan, as we would call it. And those are your no-go years. Yeah, exactly. So oftentimes you have greater expenses right into retirement. Well, you didn't work this hard for this many years, saving money and, you know, money's going out in all different places, but I got to put it in the 401k because I need that for retirement. You didn't do all that. So you can sit at home and watch Oprah in, in retirement. I mean, you want to enjoy yourself, especially in the years where your health hopefully is pretty decent because you don't tend to get healthier as you get into your eighties and nineties. Exactly. You know, so I, I, my opinion is if you don't spend more money than you expect in the first two years of retirement, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. It's not, it's not the cutback years. Yeah, absolutely. So what about creating, a, how are you going to replace your paycheck in retirement? Exactly. Creating an income plan is, is important too, because yeah. we, need, we need, once we understand our costs, we need to know how we're going to pay for them. So social security, are you fortunate enough to have a pension? Yeah. How will your investments create income? Well, a question I've got for a lot of people is, have you gone on to ssa.gov, which is the social security website to get your current benefits. And I'll, I'll bet you it's probably about 75%. No, I haven't done that. I just look at the report when they mail it to me. No, they no, don't do no, that no. anymore. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. get, you got to log in. Uh, yeah. Also check your earnings records. There are mistakes. Have, have you ever done that? I've oh, heard, yeah. I've heard yeah. of people having mistakes on yeah. there. And there's a number you can call to get it fixed. If your earnings record is inaccurate, that means your, your benefits that you might get paid for through social security are going to be off too. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about not just how much money you need to live in retirement, but where the money comes from. So I, I think that's a great point, Steve. Um, yeah, okay, let's let's have a rough idea of your spending. And by spending, I, I, I mean, this is not the time you cut back. This is not the time you say, well, I really don't need cable. If you're watching cable now and you enjoy it, you should want cable in retirement. You, you know, so you, the only costs, I think, that are going to be cut back Maybe a little commuting expense. Yes. Maybe you're not buying as many clothes because you don't have to get dressed up to go to work or anything like that. But that's, I mean, what else is there? You're going to be, you're going to be spending every, th every other dime that you've been spending. And now you've got to start budgeting for travel and, and things that you want to do. That's where some, you brought it up earlier, the 80% yeah. figure. A lot of that comes from taking out from what you're no longer saving towards retirement. Right, like your 401k. Exactly. Yeah. But you are going to need to do something with your time when you transition into retirement. Yeah. How are you going to spend your time? Let's talk about asset allocation a little bit. We could talk about this for, for right. all day, but it's important to make sure that you have that diversified balanced portfolio, kind of find the sweet spot for the level of risk that you're comfortable taking. Yeah. How much you need to take to meet your financial goals and your ability to take risk based on your financial situation. I know more than a couple of people that are 80%, 100% stock for that matter while they're working. Is that appropriate in retirement? I'm not sure. Not unless you have two years of cash sitting on the sideline, yeah. but but I think there's probably better ways to handle it with a more diversified approach across the board because you can't just sit in too much cash because you, you, that's a guaranteed way to lose purchasing power in your dollars, especially when we've had inflation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what do, what do you do? Bottom line is, okay, let's take a look at how much you need to spend realistically without cutting costs. Where does the money come from? Social security and distributions from uh, from your investments and Watch out for taxes because a lot of people forget about that side. 
make sure you account for taxes and maybe sit down with a, a financial pro. A good financial advisor exactly. can help you through all this. Here's the all worth advice. If you want financial freedom later in life, we advise you protect that freedom now. Coming up next, how to keep from getting scammed, booking a vacation rental. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby. You know, a lot of families, retirees, they're not staying in hotels necessarily when they go away and they're taking a hard look at rental apartments, rental homes, and and going on sites like Airbnb, VRBO. But there's a problem out there that's starting to become a big problem. Do you know what you're getting when you go on those sites? Yeah, the scary thing here is that people are are, are getting scammed. Yeah. You can face fraud in the form of fake listings or attempts to move you off-site as a way to scam you. This is something that you need to be careful for if you're not booking a hotel. I can't. I, yeah, I was I was shocked when I was reading this. You, I, I just assumed that, okay, these are pictures of the place, but it's not always the case. Sometimes they use stock pic- pictures that have nothing to do with the property that that they're that they're renting. Yeah, Airbnb and VRBO, they they bring these listings together. They, yeah. Obviously there's ways that they can try to reduce scams, but some of these are still going to fall through the cracks. So what do you do? Be careful, be yeah. diligent, make yeah. sure that you're 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 doing some research. Uh you know, the the due diligence is important. There's even, you know, talk of taking pictures, the, the pictures that they have on these listings right. and doing a reverse Google image search to see if those pictures have been used somewhere else. I wouldn't know how to do that personally. A- ask a, a grandchild. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I but, think it's a good idea. But you know, that that's great advice because I, I've done this and, and okay, they don't give you the exact address till after you book. Yeah. Well, I think rule number one is I'm not going to use Venmo or, or Zelle. Um, I'm going to use a credit card if I'm booking any, any kind of place, even if it's, you know, a Hilton or something like that. I always use that because you've got some recourse if it turns out not to be, uh, not to be what it's presented as. And I think if, if you've got a, a renter, if you've got a landlord that says, oh, no, I only take Venmo, I only take Zelle. Too bad, um, next. That's a big old red flag, oh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, if you use a credit card, you're letting your bank take on the risk. That, that That's the key here. Same thing with a, a cancellation policy. It, it, make sure that there is some kind of a cancellation policy yeah. with what you're booking in case you need to make a change. And if you're using that credit card, that's going to put that that risk back onto your bank. So even though they don't give you an exact address, you can usually call it down to, you know, an intersection. It's not too hard. And then if you go on Google, Google Maps, um, and it's got a a pool uh, advertised, for instance, look at all the homes with pools. And and you're probably going to be able to match up the pictures if they're legitimate with a Google Street View. And if you find that, then you can start backing out and taking a look at, are there restaurants around? Does it look like a halfway decent yep. neighborhood? I've done this, and, and some of them, yeah, they're in a nice neighborhood. Some of them, they're not. So do your research before you sign on the dotted line. Hey, thanks for listening. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk about how to lower your chances of getting audited by the IRS. You've been listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial on 55KRC, the talk station.